We have been in this series for a while now, and uh, today we get to close it. So if you've been with us through this series, Life on the Balance, uh, you've experienced some things, and we pray and we hope that have been life-changing uh, moments and, and experiences that, that we've shared together. Um, today I want, I want to talk about a topic that is uh, very close to us. But over time, over time, the, the meaning of the word has uh, uh, changed. You see, some of us remember when coming back from school after doing our, our homework and probably eat something at home, we would go outside on the street and play with friends. Do you remember that? Yeah. How many of you today would allow your kids to go out on the street and play? Some of us like, no, there's no way I would let my kids alone on the street. See, t times have changed. Time have changed. But see, playing on the street was our way to, 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 to be with friends, right? Then, then that moved a little bit. And, and then friends became people who you would actually talk on the phone with. How many of you remember the phone parties? Okay, don't lie. You do remember. Right? You would buy a, a time on a phone line and your friends could go in and all call on the phone. I never did it, but I know that, uh, that, that you guys remember. Uh, another, another, another way that, that friends have changed, even today, is that we say we have, when we go on Facebook, that we have 20 friends, 50 friends, 100 friends, 1,000 friends. Right? I don't even know how many friends I have anymore. But see, the reality is that the word friend has changed. The meaning has changed. The experience has changed. Because from being an interpersonal experience, now is something of a distant activity. See, even with the ability to have so many friends today, according to, to, uh, to uh, Fortune.com, says that nearly half of Americans today feel lonely. They said that according to, to Cigna Insurance Company, maybe some of you belong to that, uh, they, they, they uh, perform a, a nationwide poll on friendship and, and relationships. And they interviewed 20,000 people. And they discovered that 54% of these 20,000 people interviewed, they feel like no one actually knows them well. In another study, they reported that 56% of people Around, around us are not necessarily with them. In other words, they, contact, they have contact with people, but they really have no relationships with them. And 40% said that they lack companionship, their relationships aren't meaningful, and that they feel isolated from others. So today we want to talk to you from the topic of Friendships. And for that, I want to ask you to, to open your notes, to get the notes out of the bulletin or, or open your Bibles. And we're going to visit the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is quite interesting when we read stories, when we read texts from the Bible, and they begin with the words, and God said, or the Lord said. Because we know that that is very important. See, we, 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 read, we, we hear... Words said by people, by people in the Bible. But when we start with the words, the Lord said, we know that it's the real thing. That it means something. 
And this, this is how this text begins. And it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now you have to remember, and, and we have to remember always, that in the book of Genesis is a narrative of what the things that happen, not necessarily how things happen. And this would take us to a point where at this moment God is saying, this is the reason of humanity. This is what man, Adam, the only man that existed at that moment, represents. And for man to be alone is not a good thing. God family made us to be relational beings. The intention of God for the creation of humanity was not to be isolated creatures. It was to experience life in teams that today we call families. But you know, family is a thing that you don't choose to belong to. You just happen to be born into, right? How many of you choose your family? Uh, we didn't, right? But one of the things that we get to do in life is that we get to share life with other people. And these other people that we choose to share our life with are called friends. Because see, friends we get to choose. And, and for things of life and situations, oftentimes, even because of distance, friends become closer than family. But there are two kinds of friends. There are two kinds of friends. One is the casual friends. And we all have them. These are the casual friends that we meet at work, that we see during the work hours. People who we might go to the gym and, and they work out at the same time we do. Or people that we meet on the mar at the market. Or people who live next to us, neighbors that, you know, we, we see, say hi. And we might know something about them because we see them so much. But we don't share details of our lives. They don't know when we're sad. They don't know what's going on. We all, they all see our happy smile because we say, hey, good morning. So these friends are just casual friends. They're not really close friends. Because, see, that is the second level of friendship. And to be a close friend, that means that this is the result, not just of situations that you happen to be working with them or living next to them, it's the result of a choice. That these close friends, you chose them to be your friends even if you live a, a continent apart. That you are in such a level of relationship that even distance can keep you apart. And you FaceTime every other day. And you share everything that happens in your day. And you text and you email and you send pictures of what you had for lunch. Before you even put them on Instagram for everybody else to see. You see, because there is a fact. And the fact is that the closer I am to a person, the greater the impact this person will have on my life. We have a term for that, and that is called influence. See, when I spend time with somebody and I share life with this person, that person is going to influence the way I experience my life. Because that closeness to this and this relationship will influence my life. And the way that we are influenced affects the way we see life, the way we see the world, the way we, we, we value things, the way we experience every aspect of our lives. Because influence carries a heavy weight on our development as human beings. In 
Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, friends, friends we choose show us what kind of per person we really are. Now, I want to show, show you this same text in different versions of the Bible so it makes a little bit more sense. Now, in, in, in the New English translation, it says, The righteous person is cautious in his friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, in this version, it gives us the perspective that somebody who is smart, who makes good decisions, chooses friends carefully. Now, my favorite version is the New Living Translation, and it reads, The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. Now, I don't know if you see it here, but in this version, it changes the perspective. It says that if you're a good friend, you're going to give good advice to your close friends. So now it changes from the passive voice to the active voice. Whichever version of the Bible you read, it means the same thing. That good friends give good, good advice. Bad friends, using the, the biblical term, they're wicked. So see, when we choose friends, we have to be aware that some of the friends that we choose might be good friends because of the advice they give. And that maybe that's a good rule to, to base relationships on. What kind of advice I get from people. If it's good advice, they're good friends. If it's bad advice, unfriend. So Janelle now is going to share with us the importance of good relationships. Happy Sabbath, church family. I hope you guys are being good temple warriors and temple cleaners. If anybody doesn't know what this bag of sugar represents, I hope you take the time to connect with someone today and ask them, why did she have sugar on the pulpit? Oh, and I've been truly blessed by being able to connect with you and share this message with Pastor Bikini. It has truly been a blessing for me. Um, today, we're going to talk about temple connectors. Because just like Pastor said, God was, or man was not made and doesn't thrive being alone. So we're going to talk about two weapons, <clears throat> excuse me, that I believe Satan uses to dis as a, a form of dysfunction. Dysfunction means making things not work right. So two weapons of mass dysfunction. The first weapon is disconnection or influence, as the pastor was talking about. If you're not connected with people, nobody can really influence you. I want you to think in your minds of a favorite TV show or a favorite YouTuber that you watch. Do you know what their joys are, their concerns, their cares, their breakups? For me as a kid, it was Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> so, you got that in your mind? Okay, now I want you to think of your neighbor on your street. Do you know about their joys and their concerns and their cares? Not really. I had a professor tell me once upon a time, way back when, when I was in grad school, that we tend to know more about the people on TV than we do our neighbors. 
And I think it's sad to say, because that was some time ago, that things have changed a lot. And now we're seeing the impacts on our health, and we're seeing the impacts on our family by being disconnected. Speaking of families, a while back, some of you said that you felt as though I was sitting at your table when we were talking about sugar. Today, I'd like to park again, with your permission, at your table and ask you a few questions. Hopefully, you have an empty chair there for me. How many meals a week do you eat as a family together? And then out of those, me out of those meals that you eat, how many are screen-free? There's no TV, there's no phones. I used to ask this of my clients, and I still do, as a measure of what the emotional life is in their family. The Atlantic says that Americans eat one out of every five meals together as a family. That's not very, I hope that doesn't match your statistics of what you are having in your head. I'm sure everybody has a phone. Have you ever been in a place where there's no network and your phone says it's searching for a connection? I want to tell you as a therapist, as a, as a parenting coach, that if you're not providing your children with a connection to you, Satan's going to figure out a way to find a different connection. And it's going to cause a lot of problems in your home. I've seen it. So searching for a connection, your children are too. Your husband, your wife, they're searching for a connection. Our church members are searching for a connection. The mealtime, I want to say, is a place where you can connect with your families. Children who eat five or more meals with their families without screens have less trouble with drugs and alcohol. They eat healthier. They show better academic performance and they, they report that they have a better relationship with their mom and dad. I'm going to give you a little thing that I tell most of my clients, because they'll be like, well, my kids don't want to talk to me at dinner. Well, okay. It may take a little time to get used to it, but you can play a game. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. Everybody around the table thinks about, let's say the subject is your day at school. I want you to tell me two things that happened and one that didn't. And then the, at, around the table, everybody has to figure out what the thing is that didn't happen. And so you get to know what your child's life was like. I, had a, I have a child, and I know sometimes you'd ask her, what did you do, what did you do today? Nothing. <laughs> okay, you really did nothing all day? You have to be really creative in learning how to get this information out of them. Next question. I'm going to step on some toes here. How many screens are available in your house? Phones, tablets, computers, TVs? Too many. Technology is becoming the new co-parent. If you're not connecting with your child, again, who is connecting with them? Their friends, their peers. Those people don't have their best intentions at hand. We are born to connect. We're, if you look at the mammals, I'm going to say humans, when a baby is born, if you breastfeed, the baby's face is this close. And that's how far they can see. God created that way because that's how we need to connect. That's how the brain develops. That's how, 
life evolves, it's face-to-face, -face. it's not texting, it's not over the computer. Remember the hand model? This being your frontal cortex and this being the amygdala which controls all your emotions, your fight or flight. When you use screens too much, it stimulates the dopamine receptor. It hijacks this part of your brain. And who knows what dopamine also stimulates? Or stimulates the dopamine receptors? Cocaine. Okay? So that's why when you say, put down your video game, you're, let's say you tell your child to put down the Legos, or you tell your child to put down the video game, this one's going to give you a temper tantrum. This one's not. Okay, now I know all the kids are going to hate me. But is a reason, there's a reason why things happen. There's a reason why it's disconnecting us from our families. <gasps> okay, do you remember that brain response I was talking about? Did you guys see that thing come? You, you must, your attention was turned away. That was my husband, by the way, not some. <laughs> There's a part in our brain that's a reflexive, has a reflex to look for things that are unusual. That's what just happened to your brain. You didn't choose to look, you just looked. And I'm telling you, researchers take babies as soon as they can sit and they put them in front of a screen and they monitor. When the child turns away, they change the speed in which the screen changes because it stimulates the reflexive part of the brain. Okay, that whole topic I can take a long time to tell you about, but screens are powerful and there's lots of money in going into them to research how to keep you connected to them. The next one is loneliness. There's a reason why solitary confinement used in prisons is a really a determinant for bad behavior, because we are not meant to be solitary. Pastor Bikini already talked about Cigna's study. If we think of our church as being half of the world's population, half of us report that we're lonely. Even though we can be in crowds, we're lonely. If you're 18, between the ages of 18 and 22, will you please stand up? If you're between the ages of 18 and 22, please stand up. Look around. This is the loneliest generation right now. Okay, you can sit down, sorry. We laugh about it, but it's also very sad because you notice there wasn't very many people in church that are of that age. But this Cigna says those are the loneliest, that's the loneliest generation alive right now. And according to the Center of Disease Control in 2016, suicide is the second leading cause of death between the ages of 10 and 24. Second leading cause of death. So there's a reason why we need to help these people. Not I'm not saying that you guys are all lonely, but our church needs to be filled with these, this age group because they are the future. Less likely to be lonely are kids who get enough sleep. They were, these kids aren't lonely. They get enough sleep. They have physical activity. They have work and school. They interact with their families. And they have friends, not the ones on social media.
it wasn't there. In your bulletin. Okay. Loneliness is a cause of addiction. We are designed to connect. This is in your notes. If we bond with other people, if we don't bond, or if we can't bond, sorry, with other people, we bond with the source of our addiction. Example, like I've talked about, processed food or fake food makes us feel full, but leaves us malnourished. When we seek connections with substitutes, we're lonely because we're not getting the right connection. Screen time, internet addiction, social media addiction, alcohol, drug abuse, sugar, sex, shopping, gambling, those are all sources of alternatives to what we need is human connection. And I'm telling you, if there's a gap in your connection with people and with God, Satan's going to fill it. So I hope you're being moved today to connect on a more deep level with someone in your life, whether it's your spouse, a friend, a neighbor, your children. And remember, don't do it out of guilt or shame because that's connecting in the wrong way. Do it out of an awareness of, oh my goodness, I don't connect with people and a love for others, because that's how Jesus shares the gospel is through us. Move, help it, move us towards connecting with others in a healthy way. And a challenge for you today, increase the number of screen-free meals that you have with your family or your friends. And also, there's some wonderful groups starting. I heard about them until this morning. Join a group and share your life with others so that Christ may be spread. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. Hasn't she been great? I think I'm going to miss her in the sermons. I felt like I was, yeah, I need that. I need to hear that. I need to hear that. Well, uh, history has shown us many, many great friendships. For example, we have uh, Marcus Agrippa and Octavian. They were friends in battle, they grew up together, and they even became uh, brothers-in-law. We have uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. And as you know, they were important in the history of our country. They were great friends. They went through some wars together too. We have uh, Mozart and Hayden, musicians. Not only art put them together, but they, their relationships. When one got sick, the other was Historians tell us, next to the bed, tending for his issues. We have Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. Not just great minds, but great friends. We have Lucy and Ethel. They got in trouble a lot together, but they were always there for each other. And of course, we have Batman and Robin. They supported each other. And for the newer generations, we have Phineas and Ferb. Always building things together. Always sharing times together. But see, the, the thing about friendship is that all of these friendships through history, all, the, all the, 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 the friends that we have seen on screen and off screen, the, the good friends that we've had in life, they have shared some characteristics that made us good friends. 
And so today, I, I want to share those characteristics with you. The first characteristic, the first mark of good friend is that good friends stimulate us mentally. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I told you a while ago in passing that when you have a gathering with your friends and you're the smartest friend in that group, it's time to find some new friends. Remember that? Because see, it is important that when we are involved in relationships, that we grow mentally, that we get, that we get stimulated mentally. You see, you, you got to think of friends as people who make you think, as people who can strike conversations with you and you're not the only one giving all the answers all the time. As friends who can talk about anything and friends that you can go home and think, man, I never saw it that way because they have perspective. They have ideas. And just like me, they want to grow. See, Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. In other words, when we get together with your friends, if you're not helping each other to become better, to be sharper, you're wasting your time. Friendships are just, are just not designed to pass the time or to watch a football game, which is a cool thing. But if your friendship does not stimulate the mind, does not help you to improve the way you think, the way you see the world, it's just an entertainment crowd, not really friends. Emerson said, a friend is someone who makes you do what you can do. In other words, somebody who pushes you to become the people with the characteristics, with the abilities, with the talents, with the gifts that you possess and help you to achieve them. Not just someone who take takes advantage of your abilities and what you can do for them. See, a friend makes you think about life, about yourself, about others. And that kind of friend, it's a friend that is worth keeping. So the first mark of a, tr of a good friend is someone who stimulates us how? Mentally. The second mark of a good friend is someone who stimulates us or, or actually supports us emotionally. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. How often? At all times. At all, and the good and the bad. It says, and a brother is born, born for adversity. When you are down, when you are down, who picks you up? Yes, Jesus. But see, Jesus also uses people to help us up. And those are the kind of friends that we want. People who are there, not just when everything is good, but when things are not as bright. You see, a friend tries to see you through while other people tries to see through you. And you see, what is there in, 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 during those difficult moments of life when true friendship is developed? When true friendship is demonstrated? A friend, by definition, is someone who is always there. 
Galatians 6.2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now let's stop here for a second because this, this text is loaded. Let's go backwards because this is how, to, how we understand better this text. Let's go backwards. So fulfill the law of Christ. So in other words, to fulfill the law that God wants us to fulfill, we have to understand what comes first. And what comes first is that the, the way that we fulfill the law, it says here, is when we bear each other's burdens. Now, you, you might ask, well, that's not in the Ten Commandments. But see, we have to understand something. That the Ten Commandments as they were given in the Old Testament were a model of the character that, that God wants us to experience. A character that God wants us to have. When Jesus came to this earth in the New Testament, he developed, he demonstrated, he, 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 he showcased the character living. Are you with me? So what we have here is a total demonstration of the character that God wants to see in us. Now, a beautiful thing about this family is that when we get to heaven, the only thing that we'll have from earth is our character. So if we want to be in heaven... <clears throat> The thing that we have to learn to practice is the ability to help people when they need us. To carry each other's burdens. Because it says here, Paul says it, that is the way to fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, that is how we learn to acquire the character of Jesus. And if we think about it, the thing that Jesus came to do on, on this earth was to carry our burden. Was to take over our sin to the point that he died in our place. So what God wants to see in us is that our character is transformed in such a way that we become such a great group of friends that we carry each other's burdens. You see, I, 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 I've developed friends through my life, my whole life. When I was living in Mexico, here, all kinds of friends. But... While I was in college in Mexico, I developed a friendship that, that has been different than any other friendship that I've ever had. Because, see, I have tons of friends. Everywhere I go, there's people who know me. I have friends everywhere. And I have my volleyball friends. I have my friends that I play volleyball at the beach. I have my friends that I play volleyball at the gym. I have my friends from the good old days. But, see, when I went to college in Mexico, when I went to study to become a pastor... I was, for my first two years, I was in the dorm. And the third year, I figured that it was better for me to live outside of the dorm. So I moved outside and, and I found an apartment. I had the blessing that I could pay for that apartment on my own and, and the help of my parents and, and, and what I worked here. And, and so, so I could live in that apartment and pay my schools and, and I, I had my time. I didn't have to, to be abiding by the schedule that, that the school had for me. I was even teaching at the academy there. So I, I was living as a student, but I was not really a traditional, conventional student. So for me, it was great. So the first day of, uh, of school, when I got there, I see, I see the, this guy who had been in my class for a couple of years, because we had to take classes together, and I saw him standing there, and, and I noticed that he was kind of worried. So I, I had a, a 1972 VW uh, over there with no muffler, so people knew when I was coming. 
And uh, so I'm driving my car down in front of the, of the theology school, and as I'm driving by, I see him and I say, hey, what's going on? You know, we came back from, from summer vacation, and he was there. And, and, and all of a sudden, we strike a conversation. We strike a conversation, and he goes, you know, uh, um, during the summer I worked, and, and, and I accumulated some money, but my money is not enough. So either I pay my, 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 my tuition, or I pay where to live. And I said, you know what, why don't you come live with me? So he came and lived with me. And then he, every month he would ask me, hey, how much do I owe you? Nothing. So we become to develop a friendship. A friendship. Now this was quite interesting because um, we would study together and we would learn things together. And uh, I remember uh, we were living in this, in this apartment, in this house that was next to the, the, the town Montemorelos, where the university is, it's known by the citrus, by oranges and tangerines and all these this fruits. So what we did is that our apartment was uh, the last one on the street and next behind us was an orchard. So he would go, he would jump the fence and I was on the other side of the fence with a baseball glove and he would throw the oranges. I would catch them and put them in the, <laughs> in, in, in the washer area. And uh, so we always had fruit at home. Um, but then there was one time, there was one time, see, see, he didn't have a car, he didn't have a car. I, I drove to school and, and, and sometimes I picked him up on the way back if our classes were the same and why not. But see, one time um, I got all my, two of my wisdom tooth taken out. And if that, that has ever happened to you, you know that that's, that's a great feeling afterwards. So, so I was out for a while, for a couple of days, and, and I realized that everything I needed, he was doing for me. On our senior year, we continued to live together because we, funny, we didn't see student life apart from each other anymore. We grew so close together. So on our senior year, we're living together again, and I felt sick. I had a fever. And he was there next to the bed changing the, the, the cold towels on my forehead. I'm like, okay, my mom used to do that. That's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> That's pretty cool. To the day, uh, uh, he, he is a pastor in a, in a horrible area in Mexico. He lives in Cancun. And um, so, he, so he asked me to go, preach, to go preach there last year, actually two years ago. And, and I had a chance to baptize at the same time with him down there in, in Cancun. His kids call me uncle. And that is not, that's not like here that we usually in church we tell uncle to the other brothers and sisters in Mexico. That doesn't happen. So... We, we develop this relationship that we have to the day. We are apart, but in the moments when we were down, I wasn't expecting anything when I asked him to live with me, and he's not expecting anything from me any other way. Because we develop a true friendship. And that is exactly what the Bible says. Carry each other's burdens. So the marks of good friendship are first, that they stimulate us mentally. The second is that they what? It's right there on the screen. You better tell me what it is. <laughs> it support us emotionally. And the third one, and very important, is that they strengthen us spiritually. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up. 
build one another up just as you are doing. And, and, and Paul continues with this idea in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, what he's saying is that, you know, you're, you're okay the way you are, but if you have a friend that can help you to grow spiritually, you'll be even in better shape. Because together you can achieve more things than if you were alone. See, we all have a need of deep friendship. We all have acquaintances. We all have people that we know circumstantially. Like I said at the beginning, at work, uh, uh, different places, even at church. We have people who we know, who we see every Saturday, but we don't even know their names. But we all have a need to have, to experience deep friendships. See, oftentimes in church, we change the word friendship for fellowship. You heard that before? But see, the difference between those two is that friendship is based on emotions and on your mind. But fellowship, fellowship, I'm sorry, is based on the spirit. So true fellowship means that you're helping each other as a friend, but also you're helping each other spiritually. So let me tell you this, you cannot fellowship with an unbeliever, but you can be a friend. But being a friend does not mean that you won't ever be able to be fellowshipping. Now that was deep and that was right before lunch. Now, so, so now what, what we need to understand is that as we develop each other spiritually, We not only see the needs of the other, but we help to understand that all of us are at a different level of a spiritual maturity. You see, when we come to church, like in a day like today, some of us have been Christians for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years. Some of us have been Christians for 50 hours or 50 days. So our spiritual walk, it's a little bit different. And oftentimes, like in everything else, we tend to gravitate to people who are similar to us. And that, unfortunately, affects also the way we develop our spiritual friendships. So what we need to understand is that there's people who are today where you were in the past. So they, they need people like you to help them go through those same situations, questions, and, 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 uh, and challenges that you had when you were at that same time. Now, Psalms 119.63 says, I am a companion of all who fear you, those who keep your precepts. Now, let's read that again. I am a companion of how many? Of all. Not just of a bunch. Not just of the ones that are at my level. Not just of the ones that I've known from this other place. But no, of all. Of all. That includes everyone. So what he's saying here, what the psalmist is saying here, is that our fellowship has to develop this spiritual friendship that allow us to use our challenges, our spiritual background, our experience to help others who are going through the same thing today. And that develops into deep relationships. Because deep relationships allow us to share our emotions. And see, we have a difficult time sharing emotions. We do, we do, we do. Especially men, we're horrible at sharing our emotions. 
And we talked about this a while ago too. And I will continue to talk about this. But uh, um, sharing our emotions is something that we don't usually share. In fact, when we're, when we're in, in, in a group and we talk about our, our, our challenges, what we're wrestling with, we usually talk about, well, 20 years ago I wrestled with this. And we think, oh man, you know, poor thing. You know, praise God, you're not wrestling with that. But we never say what we're wrestling at the moment with. Because we have difficulty sharing our emotions. Now, what, what we have to understand is that if we, need to, if, we, if we want to grow spiritually, we need to develop this mentality that the only way to, to grow deeply spiritual with somebody else is when I share my emotions. That is, why, that is the reason why I said at the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. And that is the reason why in our church we have something that we call life groups. So that we can belong to one of these groups and talk and pray for each other and, and share things at a different level that here does not facilitate the experience. But in the small groups, it's a lot easier to do. In fact, the deepest, the deepest friendships that we have in our church among the members have been developed in life groups. So... September 15, remember this date, we'll start with a new series called Vision, a look at who we are. And when we start this series in September 15, that'll be the kickoff, the kickoff for the next uh, um, life group uh, series. So uh, as we do, you receive the notes for the, for the message during the morning and also receive the guides for, for the discussions when you're with groups. And let me tell you, there's going to be some life groups that are going to be listed on, on, on the bulletin that you can attend. But, but let me tell you something else. Two people can be a life group. Are you with me? So there's no excuse. Well, it's too far. Oh, I can't do it that day. I can't do it. And, and we have groups on all days, all times, all places. We have groups that meet in restaurants, groups that meet in homes in the middle of the day for those who go to bed at 7 in the afternoon. You know, we have groups for all kinds of people and in all different places. So if you get together with somebody else, you're a life group because you're sharing life together. All right? So we'll start September 15. Because I believe that we need to learn to be sensitive to other people's needs. And I want to close with this. This is kind of a Christmas story, but it's so fitting for today. You know those uh, shops where they sell Christmas trees? You've seen them? Are you awake? Uh, just checking. Are you maybe thinking, what is the life group I'm going to go to? It's just light. So this, this man was in charge of one of these shops selling Christmas trees. And people would come. And you know, if you ever bought one of those Christmas trees, you go and you look for the best looking. For the one that would fit in your house. For the one that would, you know, fills the space that you want to fill with a Christmas tree. You want for one with luscious branches and, 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 and uh, symmetry and, 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 and nice foliage. But when this man came to the, to the shop, he passed the nice trees and went to the back. Where all the trees that were not so nice were just bundled. They were not even in display to be sold. So this man found a tree that on one side was beautiful. But on the back side, on the other side of the tree, 
was pretty ugly. Branches were missing. Then he had gaps. So, so the man, curious now, observing this young man who went to the back of the shop looking for this ugly tree. You know, he was just observing. He was curious. So this young man said, how much do you want for this tree? And the shop tenant said, well, you know, uh, he's not going to sell anyway, so give me three bucks. So the man gave him three. And he said, I'm going to give you another three for, because I'm going to take another tree just like this one. So now this man is more confused. The shop was in a small town, so, so he knew pretty much where everybody lived. So that afternoon, he began to walk through the streets in town. And he saw through a window, the window where this man, this young man was living, that there was this beautiful, beautiful Christmas tree. And he said, well, that's not the tree he bought. Why is it looking so beautiful? So he said, maybe he bought another tree. Maybe he didn't buy these trees to display. But his curiosity took the best of him and he went and knocked on the door and said, hey, do you remember me? Yeah, 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 of course. You, were, you saw me the Christmas trees. said, yeah, you know, I was walking by and I realized that you lived in this house and the tree that you have displaying through the window is just gorgeous. What do you do with the Christmas trees that you bought for me? And he said, that's it. Those are the trees. And he, and he brought them into the house. He showed them to the tree. He approached where the tree was and he showed him. You see, this tree had a beautiful side and an ugly backside. And this other tree had an ugly backside and a beautiful front side. So I put them together and I used this wire to attach their trunks. With the foliage now all together beautiful, the wire was hard to see. And what I, what I want to show you, I hope you've already seen it in this picture, is that all of us are a little bit messed up. All of us have our imperfections. All of us have our branches that might not be equally flushed. But we have something good in us that can be shared. And when we develop friendships with people just like us, it could be the most beautiful thing. But it's even better. Because see, we have a promise. That we have a friend. His name is Jesus. And he said that he's willing to take the worst of us. And cover it with the best of him. And all that prevents us from being beautiful by the eyes of the people. He can make it so gorgeous that inside is stronger than anything else out there. Because he said that he's willing to be our best friend. And that is a blessing. So today, notes for him. He's going to sing a song that will help us to understand the blessing that it is to have Jesus as our friend.
We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. For prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering and all the while you hear it spoken me your love is way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near we doubt your goodness we doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough and all the while desperately and long that we have faith to believe cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart that this is not, this is not our home. come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise?